Hi there, Clark Buckner here, your host of Circle Back. I've got an exciting announcement for you of a mini-series right here on the show. As our team is hard at work on season two, our friend, Heisman Trophy winner, and NFL Hall of Fame Tennessee Titan running back, Eddie George, has stepped into the Chase studio. He's not only circling back with some of his friends and ours, but he's talking with them about how they went to a new stage and the lessons entrepreneurs can apply today. This show is a production of the Nashville Entrepreneur Center, also known as the EC. We're a 501c3 nonprofit right here in Music City, working every day to make Nashville the best place to start and grow a business. To learn more about how to get connected and be part of our thriving entrepreneurial community, visit ec.co. And now, our friend Eddie George interviews his first of five special guests in the studio, Kix Brooks. Do you ever have aspirations of hitting the boards again in terms of like Broadway or no, no, no not Broadway? Not, dude, it would be amazing. Way too much work. I've spent enough time with Reba McIntyre <laughs> <laughs> to be scared to death of just the seven days a week, you know, well, six days of acting, and then you get a day off, which kind of is. Reba said, and she's the hardest working person she I is. know in show business. God, I love Reba. And she does everything all the time, and we spend a lot of time together as, as friends uh, and as, as uh, Reba, you know, Reba just does something to my spirit. Like, that Isn't woman she great? just drives me. She's so beautiful. Oh, I love she her. She is. Beautiful spirit, beautiful woman. And, yeah, you're right. She is the hardest working woman uh, in show business. I uh, actually did a, 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 a stint on Broadway where I was the role of Billy Flynn in Chicago. Mm. So was it eight? An I eight did hear about thing. that. So tell yeah. me about it. Was it as hard as she makes Annie get your gun out to be? You know what? Well, I'm not, I'm not, I was never really did you sing. I, I did it all. Uh-huh. Kicks. I mean, you talk about nerve. When I went up there for my audition, uh-huh. I had to do the audition. Yeah. Because I was like, listen, how many times in life do you have a chance to audition to go on Broadway? And they asked me if I could sing. I can sing. I said, yeah, I can sing. I'll, I'll figure it out. I've never done it. I've never I know done I'll be good at it. <laughs> so I go up there for my audition. I said, I go in as Billy Flynn. I get in my best suit. I get in my fedora. I get a cigar. And I'm going in there. And I go into the Ambassador Theater on 42nd and Broadway. And I, as I'm walking in the bowels of the theater, and I come through like this, this really rustic old part of the theater and the and going through the costumes and I'm like I'm a really about to go on this stage and sing and dance and do all this stuff. <laughs> I said I have no idea what I'm doing. But I go in there and it's an empty theater. It's the lights are down. It's dark and it's myself and the piano player on the stage. And he's like warming up very professional. Mm -hmm. You know, just getting his keys ready, and I'm just standing there, like, you know, looking at the material, and he says, all right, Mr. George, want to start at the top. All I care about is love. What key are you in? I said, what key? <laughs> <laughs> Pick one, right? I don't know. <laughs> Let's figure it out together. The one you're about to start playing in. <laughs> <laughs> so we go through finding G flat, D, whatever, and then... I built out the songs and um, I, I do the lines and I'm just about a half hour of going over this stuff. And uh, at the end of my audition, 
30 minutes in, I hear this clapping and Oh my God, that was amazing. And it was um, the, the lead producer, Barry Weisler. And he says, let's do it. Let's do it. I was like, on Broadway? Says, yes, my people will call your people. I was like, oh my God, it'll be on Broadway. And he called me a, a, fi- a calendar year later that, to bring me on. But wow. to, say all, to say the least, it was a wonderful experience. Eight weeks on Broadway, um, eight shows a week. I mean, one day off. Wow. Two, two on Saturday, two Sunday, one Monday, one Tuesday, off Wednesday, back Thursday, and Friday. <laughs> and I lost my voice after my third performance. Uh, and I was like, I can't sing. Mm-hmm. I, I, I panicked. And one of the dancers, it's a wily veteran, says, take down this number. Go see my doctor. I'll see you on Tuesday. Have a nice day. Went to go see the doctor. Shot all the stuff up uh-huh. my nose, something down my throat, gave me a shot in the butt. And says, "Shut up for the next couple of days. You're mm-hmm. good to go," mm-hmm. and it worked out great. You don't really sound like yourself. You're like, "Wow, where'd this person come <laughs> right. from?" <laughs> <laughs> right, right, but it was a new, it was a new stage for me, uh, jumping from athletics into the um, the world of entertainment. And uh, it was uh, daunting. It was um, a little scary. I mm-hmm. felt I had to get comfortable being uncomfortable. So for you, jumping from you started mm-hmm. in the oil business. How did that pipeline? Work? Pi- yeah, my dad was a pipeline contractor. So mm-hmm. yeah, growing up, uh, started out just loading trucks, going out on pipeline jobs. You know, when I got a, a little a uh, little older, I started going out and working on pipelines and. Uh, Eventually, um, and my father was, he designed a lot of this equipment that tested pipelines. So in the 50s, uh, and he was a brilliant engineer, wound up building pipelines all over the world. But in testing, when a pipeline starts getting some age on it, it has to be tested for integrity. You know, Mm -hmm. you don't want it blowing up and whatever. So he created all this equipment that would fill a pipeline up with water and clean it up. You put up, pump up six to eight thousand pounds of pressure on it depending on the elevations and um, basically monitor to see what happens and when um, a pipe is in the ground covered with dirt if it blows out especially full of water it doesn't do much Hmm. you know it just spews and then it's over but um, I got sent because there weren't that many people that knew how to do this and I kind of spent my younger life uh, in the college um, doing that, and so I got sent to Alaska to, to be part of the team that had tested the Alaska pipeline, really? where now you have, to that time, I think 48 inches was the largest diameter of any pipe anywhere, mm-hmm. and Alaska's 56 inches, so it's huge in diameter, and it's on stilts, if you haven't seen it. So oh, you like the big, yeah, 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 <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah. It's got yeah, these posts, yeah, it's up in yeah, the air. Yeah, So you fill, uh, you fill that up with water, and uh, up and down some of these mountains. And then you have pigs that, you know, the way you do this, I won't make this too long, but as you start pumping up water behind it, you've got basically a big stop rubber stopper in there. So the water pushes it up and then it fills up with water behind it and it pushes it up Mm. when you're like when you're going up a mountain. So I'm looking at a gauge and when I see the pressure drop, I know that pig just moved. And it it builds up again, the pressure drops. So Mm -hmm. I haven't done it for a long time, I can get a pretty good idea where that pig is. And there were mm-hmm. a couple of times 
they, that pig would get stuck at the top of a mountain and you just watch that pressure build up and then you start calling people and go, hey, you know, my pig's stuck and um, I got 12,000 pounds of pressure here and when this thing goes, it's gonna go, it's really dangerous. At 15, if you don't wanna come shut this down or give me permission to do so, then I'm fixing to go get in the woods and we're gonna see what's gonna happen. And uh, <laughs> man, one time we shot one of those pigs like halfway down, two miles down the other side and it was like a giant siphon. I was already in the woods because I had called and asked for to shut it down a couple of times and they convinced didn't convince me, but they assured me that everything was okay. And there were two D9 bulldozers on both sides attached to this thing with big saddles, you know, holding it steady uh -huh. just in case it got to rumbling, which they did all the time. And uh, I could hear all hell breaking loose behind me. I'm running like a little eight-year-old girl <laughs> screaming through the woods because I can't even describe the sound. And when I went back, both those bulldozers were laying on their sides. The pipe had jumped all the way over the stilts. It was all laying on the ground. And it was the only time I actually saw my father the whole year I was up there in Alaska doing that. He came wow. in on a helicopter one day and um, landed. And I remember he, he got out of the, the chopper and he looked around at this devastation. And I'm standing over there, you know. He looks at me and he's like, I'm like, I know, Dad. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty freaking awesome, isn't it? <laughs> anyway, yeah. So I worked in the in the pipeline business. Wow. And 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 during that time, did you discover your your your, I guess your, your artistry in terms of singing and and wanting to, to do music? I can I can uh, bore you to. All the we time. got all we the time yeah, in the world. All the time we don't have to uh, about ways I almost got killed on the pipeline, different pipeline jobs, and um, and that really inspires you when you're waist deep in mud, uh, looking down the, mm -hmm. the barrel of a thousand pound block and tackle. It's about to come flying yeah. at you. Really makes you want to practice your guitar picking. <laughs> <laughs> and that's what you kind of did during your downtime. I, I always wanted to, to be a singer songwriter. Mm -hmm. You know, my heroes. Um, uh, besides a lot of football players, I love football. You know that. I uh, know. Um, besides, but I, I was a skinny uh, whatever. It was never. You know, somewhere in junior high, I had this big guy on the line across from me. And he what just, position were you playing? I, well, I shouldn't have been, but I was like a defensive tackle that day. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Is it here? You play this position right here, right? Exactly. Yeah. It was one of those deals. Yeah. And, you know, every play, he just couldn't wait to knock me on my ass again. Mm. So, yeah, that's when I realized I wasn't big enough for that. But I love music. I grew up singing and, and playing. We came from a real musical family. Mm -hmm. Um my mom, I heard how what a great uh, piano player and showbiz. My dad was just a real fun guy, and apparently through college they were very much it. But she died when I was four years old. Mm, so right my here. grandmother, who was big church-going woman and, and also uh, just a really good ragtime piano player, but we were, as kids, we were always putting on a show. Mm -hmm. You know, it was a variety show every night after dinner and whatever, and I would just... We got in the car going somewhere. We were singing instead of talking. You know? <laughs> just, I, I love to do it. So I just grew up, you know, being in bands from the time I was 10 or 12 years yeah. old. Yeah. And, and, and what was that moment? Can you, can you recall that moment when you say, oh, this is it. This is, 
I know I'm on the path now to greatness in terms of what, what I want to do. I know you always want to sing, but was there a, a concert where, or was there a, a moment where you were on stage, you just said, okay, my career is now about to take off. What was that tipping point for you? I think, um, you know, in college, I mean, I always felt like it'd really be fun to do, but when I went to college, I wasn't a music major. I hadn't been in marching band or anything like that, you know, which at the college level. And what college did you go to? I went to Louisiana Tech. Louisiana Tech. Yeah. You know Terry Bradshaw. Oh, I know TV. <laughs> yes, sir. Yes, sir. It, it uh, but it, I didn't have the background to really be at the collegiate level. But I also, I did have a dream of going to Nashville. And I really didn't, I knew, I read guitar player enough to know I needed to learn to read. At least I needed to learn to be able to communicate mm -hmm. in the studio at a professional level if I wasn't going to look like a fool. You know, I mm -hmm. wanted to be, to have some education. So when I went to college, uh, my dad told me I, if he was going to pay for it, my first year I would be in business administration. And that's been uh, very helpful, mm. you know, uh, for everything I've ever done. Interesting. Yeah. But I also put some pretty good bands together mm -hmm. in college and started making some money. Mm. And I was splitting $100 rent three ways. I was making about 100 bucks a night playing in a band four nights a week. Mm -hmm. um, I couldn't get a major in music because you needed ensemble credits. You either had to be in the school choir. wasn't going to happen. Again, when... I was I was honky tonking and my heroes were coming up from Austin and Jerry Jeff Walker and Guy Clark and yeah. you know all those guys were my heroes. But I said I can do this forever if I can keep my rent paid and do this is so much fun. And I was always a you know a dorky nerd as far as girls were concerned. Uh -huh. You know, they made fun of me, but something about a guitar can change a woman's mind. <laughs> I don't know what it is, but it's magic. If I, if I could get a date, you know, so uh, everything just kind of went, this is a life I could, this is a life I could live and be happy. Yeah. You know, and of course there's, the music business will throw a lot of curveballs at you, but mm. I really have been, I've been pretty joyful through this whole trip. Yeah, now it, it shows, man. It's what's, what I find interesting is as you're talking, you, you seems like you've always had the entrepreneurial spirit, mm -hmm. but you just so happen to do music. You work the pipelines. You uh, doing a lot of things now that you've um, had this incredible career as a country country music singer. You started the wine business. You know. Why wine? Because when people think of you, they say, oh, he's a country artist. He's not an entrepreneur. What does he know about business? What does he know about wine? I get the same questions. What do you know about acting? What, do you, what does he know about coaching? What does he, know? <laughs> uh, he should have a football in his hand. But unfortunately, I can't continue to play football well in my 50s. So I had to take a lot of those lessons and, and transfer that over to another skill set. So what is it about the passion of wine that said, hey, you know what? I want to get into the wine business. Honestly, it's for me, it's opportunity. You know, it's cliche, opportunity presents itself. Mm. And about the third time my wife caught me sitting up at bed at 2 o'clock in the morning, she said, what is wrong with you? Mm. Said, I'm not that smart, Barbara. Why 
hasn't somebody done this? I mean, we've been to Napa Valley. I can name, you know, I can on both hands all the friends I know here that have huge wine cellars. There's a huge, Ete Duvin, you know, the oldest wine auction for cancer, that it, for, but for anything in the country is here. I found out before just being a wine lover, before Prohibition, Tennessee's the third largest grape growing state in the country behind New York and Wait California. A Time out. The, yeah. I, I, now, I didn't know that. Yeah. I've been out to Arrington. Uh-huh. Great wine, by the way. Thank Great you. I was wondering who was drinking all that wine. Yeah, I'm yeah. proud of you. Yeah, <laughs> that was, uh, that's me. I'm always up there at the tastings, you know, getting some more wine. It's, it's, it's remarkable. Um, but yeah, it, it's, 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 it's uh, amazing how. All of that happened in terms of, you know, you understanding the third largest wine or grape producing state in the country. Right. I would and never, I, I, before, thought, I would thought Oregon would have been in that. Before Prohibition. Pro, before Prohibition. Okay, Correct. Gotcha. Okay. And then I guess tobacco hit, whatever, it's thrown away. The long answer to the short question is I couldn't believe nobody had thought about doing a winery, a Napa-style winery or something in Middle Tennessee. You know, the majority of the money's here. There's a lot of people into wine here. Look at the topography around. It just seemed like a great opportunity, and there's no competition. I mean, if you have a business, if you come up with a business with no competition, I'm not competing with Napa or any, anybody else. I'm not trying to get Robert Parker to put points on the wine we're, we're making. We're in all kind of contests. You know, we've won a ton of medals. We like doing that for the fun and to give us bragging rights. Right. But basically, we sell almost 25,000 cases of wine now a year, and it's all, all at Arrington. We have 7,000 wine club members. We're not even in restaurants. We're not trying to get in restaurants and in stores. We've pulled our wine out of liquor stores who were very supportive when we got started because we wanted people to know about us. Mm -hmm. But really, we wanted to sell direct to consumers. And when we started, there also wasn't shipping in Tennessee. We couldn't ship to Tennesseans. We couldn't ship out. And except for the 1,500 labels that were shipping into Tennessee, that the wholesalers decided what those labels would be. If you went and visited, there's 5,000 wineries in in California. You couldn't go visit one of those wineries, love it, and have them legally ship their wine to you Mm -hmm. if you were in their wine club or anything. So we got all those laws changed, which was very exciting. I think it's great for our state. And right now we're trying to grow this business. We've the governor is supported. I'm on a, on a wine board now for the governor with, wow. with nine uh, other people that are very involved and the head of uh, commissioner of agriculture here in the state. And all the states around us um, are really supporting the grape industry. Mm-hmm. And it's a really sexy thing to grow. Mm-hmm. And with tobacco now being pushed out of the state for obvious reasons, you've got... You know, University of Tennessee with great ag programs. And, and in Martin, you have a great agriculture university there in Martin, Tennessee. Around our state has big time been built on agriculture. So we're trying to let these young people know that for generations have had family farms. Look at growing grapes. Right. It's a real lucrative thing, but you got to know what you're doing. 
and the state really needs to put in their state budget some money to help these universities encourage these young people and right now at MTSU we've got a whole we've got a whole lab set up a whole program wow. where people growing grapes and making wine can now send their wines in we tell them what the quality is what their pH values is what the sugar value is and then there's a group of tasters that actually are going to taste these wines and go you're not quite your pH values are good, but your wine isn't tasting very good, okay? <laughs> right, right. We're not talking about sommeliers that are going to put you out of business, but we want to make a sticker that you can put on a bottle from wine that's made in Tennessee that has three stars on it that you know this is a Tennessee wine, and it's gone through all these tests, and this is something you can be proud of that's a good-tasting wine that was made in Tennessee to get that kind of support as well going back the other mm. way. So a lot of opportunity. You know, um just, just listening to you talk about this, I mean, first of all, you sound like a, a freaking expert <laughs> in terms of wine. Like, okay, this man. I know a experts, theater, and I'm not one dude, of you, them. I see, I see ah. the nerd in you. I see very intelligent. Um, but, you know, someone listening to this podcast may be like, oh, my gosh, you know, this kicks Brooks. Everything goes right for him. He jumps into the business. He goes into this seamlessly. Everything is perfect. And we know there was a lot of growing pains in starting this business. And there's a lot of wisdom in the setbacks. Like for me personally, what I'm going through now as a coach, it's what I don't know is what I don't know. And bringing in the right team. And every time I come up against adversity or setback or things didn't go my way, I, I lost a recruit, I don't get upset about it. I'm like, okay, that's a great learning experience. That's going to get me to my successes. What were some of your growing pains in, in terms of building this business? Is there a story you can share with our listeners that can inspire them to fight through that, to embrace those moments? Well, first, I got to call a, a lower level of BS on what you just said, though, <laughs> because here you spent so many years at the highest level mm -hmm. playing professional football. Mm -hmm. You have seen... So many people, even if they weren't mistakes that you made, make mistakes along the way at so many levels, so many facets of your game. Even the coaches mm -hmm. that you had that you saw come and go. Yes. I mean, what a revolving door professional football is. If you at every level, you see some that stay. What? How did they make it? I know why he's here. Right. Because he's not just good at what he does, but he's a great communicator. I would think for you that would be a huge part. And I think it's a huge part of being a good manager of a business. I think that's really what leadership is. Mm. I think it's taking your experience and learning how to communicate that. Yes. And, you know, some people have great experience. They have a ton of knowledge. They're not very good at communicating. Mm. I have, wow, I have, I have some knowledge, but I feel like I'm a good communicator. If anything, I feel like when I'm on stage, I'm a good communicator. I don't know why. I think I'll use the word talent in the most humbling uh, verbiage that I can think of. But we are all blessed, Eddie, with talent. Mm -hmm. Okay, fine. I'm. I fully believe that from the bottom of my heart. Every human being on this planet has a talent. And that, to me, that is something that's God-given. Mm -hmm. That is something that you are honestly born with. 
I can practice not 10,000, but 20,000 hours, and I can't get close to Keith Urban playing the guitar. You know, I'm a, people think I'm a good guitar player. I know I'm not. You know, and you know the same thing on the, I'm an okay guitar player. I'm going to call BS on okay. that statement right there. Well, I, I'm, <laughs> You're I'm an putting, amazing guitar okay, player. But I'm around great freaking guitar players, okay? I'm around real, when I go in the studio, there's a reason I leave mine in the box, okay? <laughs> because I can communicate what I need. I have educated myself to what I want on a musical level. I can't always actually perform that. I could if y'all got time, they don't. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't. We're trying to do something in a fairly compact, you know, amount of time. It's not that I never play music or I haven't ever recorded music, but if I'm trying to make records that are complicated, that are real radio worthy records, you know, I bring I bring in the best pickers and we all have fun and it's joyful for me to see mm-hmm. people that can do that. You know, but when I get on stage, I don't know what that is. I don't know where that came from. Mm. I don't know why I can look that crowd in the eye and immediately know that we're all buddies here and we're all going to have fun here. I don't know why I'm not intimidated by that. You know, it's to me, that's just a gift that I was given. Am I as great as everybody out there? No. I'm, you know, I'm not the best in the world, but you know what? I'm, I am happy with the gift that I was yes, given. Yes. I have managed to screw up, make a good living at it, and I, I make no apologies for the level that I can do. You know, because mm-hmm. I've given all that I can to as good as I can be. And I'm sure you've seen that with football players. Yes, you yes. know, there's people. It's not that they don't work as hard as they can possibly work. Someone was given more talent and a, a bigger gift, and you shouldn't be disappointed. You should right. just find, you got to find your happiness with the gift that you got. Yeah. And I feel like that's really the secret to life. If you can no do question. that, take it, work hard with it, and be satisfied with it because that's all I got. Yeah, I'm giving yeah. it all I got. But, but what I hear too, though, is that you, not only, you're not just relying on your talent. Because I, I, I think talent isn't enough in order to really be great, to separate yourself from the very good to the greats. They put in the time, the work ethic. They have a great attitude. They have a belief system. They have a set of morals. They, they, they're on time. They have preparation. They do, they do things that doesn't require talent, mm-hmm. that most guys that I've seen – that were extremely talented, running a 4-3 in the 40, mm. can bench press the world, can squat the uh, the universe. And, but when it comes down to work ethic, over time that talent erodes and you're on the same level with everybody else. And it's the heart, the guy that put in the hard work that carries him through mm-hmm. you know, time and time again. That's, he's able to elevate that. So That's I, what I say. You got to yeah. get the most out of it. Yeah. But you know what I think is a real important component of everything that me and you were just talking about is you also have to learn to be satisfied if you have given it your all mm. and you feel like you have really put it, you have given it your all, you have, you have squeezed that lemon as hard as you can and you've gotten all of it mm. out. You have to learn to be satisfied with that if there's somebody that's better than you. 
Because I'm like that's how I was the point I was trying I to make. You. I'm surrounded with people that are they are and they just are. Mm -hmm. And you know what? The day that I learned to be joyful for their talent mm -hmm. and their goodness, even if the day that I learned to say Keith Urban is just a great freaking guitar player, mm -hmm. not I hate that guy. He's so good. <laughs> right, you know, right, people right, joke right. about that. Right. But I know a lot of people that spend their life in frustration because they want to be a songwriter that's as good as Christofferson. Uh -huh. And it just doesn't matter. There's a craft there. You have to learn your craft. But there's also a talent there that I've written with some of the greats. And I've walked out of those rooms going, that was freaking amazing. And it's not that I hadn't written some hit songs, but there's guys that are better at it than me. You got to you got to give me one story. Yeah. Of of of, of sitting with one of the great artists and how you came up with a, an idea or a song or just how does that talk about that process? It's it's just magic. It really is. You know, for I call it I call it inspiration. And I call it perspiration, <laughs> you know. And I, I've written a lot of bad songs with perspiration. I've put a lot of songs in the trash at the end of the day that we we worked as hard as we could. We went through the process. The magic wasn't necessarily there. Uh -huh. But then some days there's just, um, it's hard to describe. Like, um, oh, I don't know. When Ronnie and I were, you know, it's funny because, you know, being put together with somebody and both of us, I'm 36, he's 38 years old the day we met mm -hmm. and are more or less offered a record deal because Tim Dubois wanted to duo for his label. He'd already signed Alan Jackson. He didn't need another boy singer. Mm -hmm. Complimented us both on what we were, our writing and whatever. But he said, we're like, I don't know, Tim. And he's like, do me a favor. You guys just get together and write a song. Mm -hmm. And that first day we wrote Brand New Man. The second day we wrote, that was the same week, we wrote Next Broken Heart, which were our first two number one singles. And our first four songs were number one. Then I had a song lost and found that I think was two or three, you know. Mm -hmm. So we just blew, we don't know each other from Adam. You know, it just blows up. We have this ridiculously good career that we never yeah. it just didn't make any sense we both i've been here writing songs for 10 years i'd never seen anything like what happened to us it's just weird you know uh -huh. and one day it was way down the road we just got to visiting about where we came from and i was asking him about el dorado arkansas because he says he's from tulsa he says he's from texas which he was born in coleman but actually his grandparents were in el dorado because mm -hmm. mine were in just across the border in Louisiana, and we started, my grandfather and I used to ride those roads and looking at timber, and I said, man, that dirt was so red, and he goes, I know, he said, it was just like that in El Dorado and whatever, and I said, you know, that's a good name for an album, Red Dirt Road, <laughs> and uh, he goes, I know, we got to write that one day, <laughs> and we had a gig up in, uh, up in San Francisco, actually, it was in Sacramento, at Arco Arena, and we were flying up to San Francisco to take this trip, and we get off the plane, and he hands me this napkin, and it's got you know, where where I drank my first beer, you know, where I met Jesus and wrecked mm. my car and I tore it all to pieces and you know it's it had those those kind of magic chorus lines in it and then he goes, What do you think? I said, I think it's freaking brilliant, mm. you know. 
happiness ain't just for high achievers. You're damn right. I go, I love this, you know. And I got so excited, I jumped on my bus. He jumped on his bus. They were waiting for us at the <laughs> airport. And we take off for Sacramento. We're in San Francisco. I grabbed my guitar. I wrote those verses and the music. Mm. And he, we, we pull up at, at the hotel where we were staying. He comes and bangs on my bus door and he goes, hey, let's go get a steak. I go, good, but you got to hear this song. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, 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 <laughs> and yeah, yeah. I played it for him. He goes, I love that, man. I go, I love that too, man. I love you. That we're high five. That's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. You know, and we, we, had a, we had our album title and we had a song that I think we both feel like is probably the favorite one we wrote together. That know? is awesome. Yeah. So how do you take that process and that mag- those those moments and translate that into being the entrepreneur, you know, um, because for me, it's Cause then you got to sell T-shirts. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you got to sell hats. Yeah, you got to yeah, yeah, design yeah. them. You got to get in business. You got to build a set. Uh-huh. You know, you got to look around and all those things go into if you have success with a song, then the music business just blows up. You have mm-hmm. so many facets that you got to deal with. And we love merchandise. At one point, we had like 103 items on our merchandise list. We had tennis shoes and watches and, oh, all these. We were having <laughs> so much fun. Race cars, you know? <laughs> I mean, it's just, it, we, we just had a lot of fun. And it, you know, it, it, it breeds success. But Dale Earnhardt Sr., who is a dear friend of yeah. mine, we were having a having a good prayer meeting on my bus one day, mm-hmm. and, and uh, Dale talking about all these fun things we were doing that were outside of what we do, mm-hmm. and and he goes, okay, he said, but don't you forget that number three car, mm. and that was his way of saying, don't forget that guitar and that song. Yes. Do what you do. You yes. know, we both had gotten so excited about all this nutty stuff that. We were blessed right with because core. of it. He goes, don't, don't take your eye off the ball there, Junior. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. and very true. I, I always in the mornings pick up a guitar. I play for a while if it's something that I hadn't played in a while or whatever. And occasionally I'll grab a pencil and a piece of paper and I'll just scratch some things down I've been thinking about. But I never, it's always like, a, I call it a green fly buzzing around in the back of my head. You know, it's never really leaves yeah, me alone yeah, it's yeah. it's always there yeah what would you rank spirituality in your life in terms of priority um i don't you know i don't think of it as a priority as much as it's just a my soul it's just a piece of me it's uh anytime somebody wants to talk uh theology i'm, mm. I'm more than happy and mm-hmm. to learn to talk to hear other people's views mm-hmm. i'm not big on um, religion that tells me how I need to worship. Mm-hmm. Uh, my great grandfather was a Methodist preacher, so I'm well grounded. My father founded a really big Methodist church in in, uh, in Shreveport, where I come from, and uh, you know he was a cigar drinking Scotch or cigar smoking Looking Scotch you. drinking, yeah. you know, hard living pipeline contractor who could quote the Bible with anybody I've ever met and we love talking God and uh so I'm I'm spiritually uh very grounded I feel like I'm I'm happy with my relationship uh with Mm. the man upstairs yes sir but um I'm not preachy and I really don't like getting preached at I like I like uh, discussions Mm-hmm. about spirituality. Yes, yes. I really feel like everyone deserves to find their own way 
that way. Mm -hmm. And I think some people are so confident in their faith and where they are with their relationship that way mm -hmm. that they, um, it's like they found their way in whatever. I, I have a, that's the one that I'm, I'm always searching. Yes. I feel like I will always be searching for those answers that I'm not so arrogant as to believe that I will ever know the answers. I can only call on the experiences that I've had, the people in my life that I've loved, that I've put to bed for the final time, the way they felt at the mm -hmm. end of their lives. I want to be like my grandmother who was disappointed that last night the Lord didn't take her. <laughs> you know, she was done. She was more or less in pain. She was used up, but she was so confident in her faith that she was so ready to go. You know, she was she was ready for. She was happy to go. You know, it's funny you say that. So I, my, my father just passed away uh, about a month ago. Oh, bless and you. Sorry. I, it's okay. I mean, at first it was really devastating. Like, I'm next in line, that whole idea. Mm -hmm. And then you're a big, you're a grown up now. I'm a grown up now, right? And it's like I, it was a, a sense of relief that he got what he wanted because he told my sister, he says, "When that train comes around again, I'm getting on it." And it, and I'm like, "Well, wow, you know, we all want to stay, you know." There's so much more I want to see in this life, and I want to stay. I'm going to miss my, I don't want to miss my wife. I don't want to miss my children. But I believe that we get, in that moment, I think you get glimpses of what heaven is like. So for something mm -hmm. to want to, for you to say, I'm ready to go, mm -hmm. I think God blesses us with a, the, a, a real sense of what heaven is like. You see your loved ones. You see, you start to see the other side. And you, you start to feel that peace and that, that true love if you're a believer. Mm -hmm. Yet she's like, I'm ready to go to that. It's just like, man, how, how could you want to leave what's here? Mm -hmm. Like my wife and my kids, my dog, you know, my purpose in life. And, yeah. and, that's, and that's to get to that place is just remarkable, mm -hmm. you know. So but I, you know what? I've, I've met your dad. Yeah, you have. I just met your dad. Your dad, your dad is so much a part of you. Huh. Your dad is really, what your dad was, was a spirit. Yeah. A spirit that could live and breathe and eat and talk. But your dad's spirit was what your dad was. Mm -hmm. Your dad's spirit mm -hmm. is inside of you. You will notice your hands and the things that you say for the rest of your life yeah. will be, ooh, that was my dad talking. Yeah. And you know what? Yeah. It's because it's a generational thing. It's real trite. It's real cliche. But it's so much God's truth. I mean, he's inside of you. He's in your heart. He's in your brain. And he'll be coming out of your mouth for the things you say for the rest of your life. My dad's been gone 20 years. We were so close. And that's from experience I've come to realize. And it is so, it has really put me at peace because I haven't lost him. Mm -hmm. I realize that just because I can't call him on the telephone, that's a heartbreaker. But at the same time, you're carrying him. Yeah. 
that's that's the sense I get. He, he feels stronger it, to me it. now than he ever was ever did when he was alive. That's that is wow. Man, that's strong. There we go. Amen. But thank you. Amen. <laughs> so, so you know, just jumping around, you know, what's what's next for for you in terms of the entrepreneurial deal? I know you got a, something going on in Vegas in the future. Well, we've been in Vegas, Vegas. with Reba five we, years. Uh -huh. Yeah, we've had a residency at Caesar's Palace, and uh, we'll go back uh, after. I think COVID's finally going to let us yes. up in uh, December. Ronnie and I are back on tour. Uh, we'll do 18 shows this year, yes, all big outdoor amphitheaters, sheds, uh, um, East Coast stuff. Uh, and who knows, if it pops, we have some fun. We may go hit the West Coast again next year. Love it. But, um, you know, it's all fun. It's uh, We both have a lot of stuff going on. The winery is just crazy. It's mm -hmm. just now it's about managing the growth. I think we Any plans to build a golf course out that way? A par three? Oh, you nine, have you not been to the course? Troubadour? I have been. It yeah. is phenomenal. So Fazio cleaned that one up, and I'm building a. a you need to you need to come out there with me and Darius oh, and Luke and yeah, Jason, yeah. and we I've got seen a good out there. we got a good little contingent. Yeah. <laughs> Are you gonna build the place out there? Well, I'm I'm trying to talk my wife into it. I think right now between the coaching, I got to spend more time or, or more toward downtown than anything else. But man, I would love to build a spot. I'm <laughs> making excuses, right? She would. My, you know, it's like my wife told me. She goes, "Hey, how many houses do you need?" So you know, my dad told me there's two things as far as purchase. I learned this the day that he was going to buy a wood splitter. Okay, and I gave him the math on, Dad, you can buy this many ricks of wood. for, And he was going to buy a nice $6,700 wood splitter. Mm -hmm. I mean, for the amount of wood that we burn in Louisiana at our family farm down there, I was doing the math. Neither one of you us are going to live long enough to for this to make financial sense, you know. And he's smoking <laughs> that cigar, listening yeah, yeah. to my big speech. And when I got done, he was always smarter than me. He goes, son, there's two things that go with buying something. I said, yes, sir. He goes, first one is, do you want it? I said, yes, sir. He said, second one is, can you afford it? I said, okay. He said, and I'm buying a wood splitter. I go, yes, sir. Yes, sir. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. So uh, you lived here in Nashville for quite some time. You watched the city just, just explode. Um, you know, why, why Nashville for the entrepreneur? Gosh, look around. Man, talk about opportunity, huh? Mm -hmm. I mean, this this town's gone crazy. I mean, it really has. And like I said, with the winery, it's the growth that's going on here. And the Troubadour is a classic example. You know, this Mike Melman and the Discovery Properties, Yellowstone and Whitefish and Baker's Bay and the Bahamas. And, you know, and the, to think Nashville would be a good spot for him at the level that he builds resorts. Yeah. When I came to town, well, it never would have happened. But right now, it's exciting. It is. It's exciting. It really and I is. really feel like if you have a good idea, and again, and not too much competition, I think that's really, you got to find your pocket if you're an entrepreneur. You got you to gotta be original in some, in some way here. It's just not like everybody's doing great at that. I'm going to do that. Mm, you know, like trying to get in the cannabis business. I don't business, think that's an right? entrepreneur. I think yeah. an entrepreneur is somebody that's like, ooh, I see a little pocket in there. There's a little gap. that he, He's really da-da-da. 
there's a little gap right there. I think I might could put my deal right in there. Mm -hmm. I think that's that's kind of where success lives. Well, good, man. Well, yeah, you are the walking story of success. Um, I appreciate your you, stories, partner. man. Thank you. Uh, nothing but love and opportunity for you on the road coming up and uh, the near future when you go. I look forward to working together too. Yes, as I you're do closing too. at Fort Negley. Yes, sir. And by the way, we are very close. So um, to the city is, mm -hmm. um, we we have a, a, a designer, a, an architect, everything which is getting close done. So I th this yeah. week, I think they were going to try to be done and make an announcement. So. Hopefully, by the time people are watching this, uh, we might get an announcement. But I uh, appreciate you stepping up. As you're certainly one of our civic leaders, and I, that's mm -hmm. what I'm trying to corral enough folks that can help us have a great city park. Well, in please have us back town. over to your house again. Oh, we that will. That was a lovely shindig, we will. by the way. Good, no. A ton of wine. It was, it was great. <laughs> we, we, can, we got more where that came from. Yes, sir. <laughs> well, God bless you, my man. Bless Thank you. Bless you, too, Eddie. All right. And there you have it. I hope you had as much fun as I did. A big thanks to Kix Brooks for joining us in the Chase studio. If you didn't know, Kix is actually one of our Nashville Hall of Fame entrepreneurs. Hang tight because Eddie George has many more conversations on the way. So be sure you're subscribed right here on Circle Back. This special series, A New Stage, is a production of the Nashville Entrepreneur Center. Hopefully, this conversation gave you a taste of the kind of passion and business-friendly environment we get to enjoy on a daily basis. To learn more how to get connected here and be part of our thriving entrepreneurial community here in Music City, visit ec.co and be sure to subscribe to all of our shows at ec.co slash podcasts.